Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Inside Brockhall podcast. I'm Elliot Jackson and I'm joined as always by Ryan Hildred. Ryan, how are you? Have you emotionally recovered? Uh, no, <laughs> in a word. Um, I don't think I was prepared for any of that. And actually that game was just an absolute summary of the season, wasn't it? So I am mentally, physically battered, bruised, beaten, whatever you want to call it. But apart from that, I'm good, thank you. I'm all well, really. Uh, at least you've got only a game, isn't it? No. Um, <laughs> at least you've got several months to try and recover over the summer because it is the end of Blackburn Rovers' season. Unfortunately, they didn't... Well, they got their job done at Millwall in dramatic circumstances, but unfortunately miss out on the championship playoffs on goal difference with Tony Mowbray, Sunderland sneaking in sixth spot ahead of Rovers. Of course, we're going to recap all of that and pick pick out all the key talking points and, and all the fallout that's come. We'll start at Millwall a couple of days on and... They didn't didn't start very well at all, did they? In truth, it was a really a, a poor start from Rovers. They they looked nervous. They were they were overawed by the occasion. Nervy passes, trying to play out from the back. Millwall pressed them really high, and the crowd. It was a completely sold out den. That the crowd was, you know, raucous. It was a really big atmosphere, and quite simply, they didn't know how to cope in those early stages. They were had plenty of the ball, but every single pass was backwards, and it sort of invited Millwall to get up the pitch and really get after them. And they didn't need much encouragement as well with the uh, with the the way the fans were getting behind them. So it was very little surprise when they scored early, ball into the box. They don't deal with the first contact, and, and Duncan Watmore smashes it in off the bar and in. Could have been two nil moments later. Zian Fleming's free kick off the post. Bradshaw taps it in and one nil down. You know, a little bit well, not fortunate because he was offside, but marginal offside decision stops you from going two nil down and. Rovers were on the ropes really early doors and it was hard to see a way back into them. Only, what, 20 minutes played, Ryan? I was so disappointed with the start. Um, you know, we've been reflecting on this podcast over the last few weeks, haven't we, about the Rovers players' bottle. You know, are we up for the fight? I said I didn't want to be going down to Millwall on the final day because exactly what you've just said there. We knew the crowd would be up for it. We knew that they would be coming at us in those first 10, 15 minutes because... You know, we know that if you can get in front against a Blackburn Rovers side, then usually you're going to win games. So we knew all of that stuff was coming. Add in all of the bits that we know about Millwall, set pieces into the box, long throw-ins, all of those types of things. I was just so disappointed with that tentative start. And we've reflected on Carter and how well he's done recently. Just get rid of that ball. Don't mess about with it. Don't invite the chance for Zian Fleming to throw a long ball into the box because we know we're going to have to defend it well. And ultimately, we didn't defend it well enough. So to go one goal down in the first seven or eight minutes, whatever it was, to a goal like that, um, to get that crowd just absolutely up for it, I just felt in such a low space at that point. And then, yeah, I think we're really lucky, actually, with the Tom Bradshaw one. I think we've been reflecting on championship refs all season through the podcast. And, you know, we know the standard of VFL refereeing. How the hell they've plucked that decision out their arse, I'll never know, because that is marginal. And I'm not even sure VAR flags him offside, to be honest. So we got lucky with that decision. And yes, I know we've come from behind in the game, ultimately. Uh, but actually, Millwall going 2-0 up at that point in the game, it could easily have been a different game at that point. So really fortunate not to be 2-0 down in those first 10, 15 minutes. And as I say, I was just so, so disappointed with our start to the game. And Really, I think it just married up with the Norwich home game where we just absolutely froze on the occasion, absolutely didn't know what to do, didn't know how to respond, didn't know how to deal with it. And you could say it's probably just sign and symptoms of a young squad. Um, well, is it a young squad? Who knows? But a young squad who's not been in this position before, you know, we needed better from them in those first 10, 15 minutes. I think that's what it comes down to. It comes down to experience. It comes down to players being used to playing for such a prize at this stage of the season in those sort of atmospheres. And Rovers just don't have many players that are adept to those sort of scenarios. And that first 20 minutes really summed it up because they could have been 2-0 down, probably should have been 2-0 down with the chances that Millwall created. That said, bolt from the blue and a lifeline. Adam Walton picks the ball up, curls it into the bottom corner, genuinely out of nowhere. And the game completely changed. Complete shift in momentum, energy inside the ground. 
And Rovers were in control and, and looked dangerous going forward after that point. It's a brilliant strike from Wharton, who with each passing game, we keep waxing lyrical. We keep, you know, exclaiming how he hasn't been in the team for longer periods this season. And there's no doubt they're going to have to build the team and the midfield around him. There's already a lot of reports and transfer rumours about him for next season. Premier League clubs looking. If they don't cash in, they've got to build the team around him next season, getting used to playing 30, 35, 40 championship starts because that boy is talented and, and he can dictate and change games. He genuinely changed that game because at 1-0, it was all one-way traffic. Bolt from the blue for one all. And all of a sudden, Rovers were on top and they were controlling the match. Then, of course, the goals come. They, they shoot themselves in the foot from their own corner. Don't make first contact. Oli Burke breaks up the pitch. It's a long ball. And Pickering doesn't deal with it. Pears doesn't deal with it. It's not the first time we've seen miscommunication between Ainsley Pears and his back line. You know, Hayden Carter and Huddersfield, Dom Hyam and Hull spring to mind, although they were not as costly as this one was. It gives Watmore a tap-in and, again, completely changes the momentum inside the stadium, the energy, all of those things. And from controlling the game, Rose are now 2-1 down and have conceded an absolute shocker. From the ground, from inside the ground, it was impossible to tell if there was a shout or not. From those I spoke to that were watching the game live said that you could vis- visibly see that Pears did shout for it. But for Pickering, I don't know if Pickering's just cocked up or whether you know it, Pears wasn't loud enough. It's really difficult to decipher without being down there. But the only common denominator is Ainsley Pairs, and it's another instance where ultimately it's it's cost Rovers. Yeah, it has. Let's just take all of this stuff just um, you know, just from the the point of the equaliser and then onto that moment. So you're absolutely right, that goal was completely out of nowhere. I was sat very slouched in my seat at that point. Um, how we got through that period only one nil down, um, I guess is is the positive we took. Um and Adam Wharton has no right to score from there. Uh, I mean, what a wonderful shot that was. Just the bend he got on the ball, threading it through that gap. It was just such a measured and composed finish, which I think to leave us, you know, as supporters, absolutely um, wanting more of that next season, wetting the appetite for what we might see from Adam Wharton in a Rovers shirt. You know, I was absolutely delighted that he got that goal. And you could say that goals from midfield, actually, um, maybe Sam Smodic aside, I think we don't look dangerous enough from those central midfield areas. So if Adam Wharton can slot into that central midfield area next season and add goals into Rovers' midfield, then that's absolutely a bonus for us. But you're right, Elliot, it was a complete bolt from the blue. But then we took full advantage of that. I thought we looked fairly comfortable Um I thought we looked like we were going to try and get to half time and then maybe see what the second half brings. And all those fears and emotions that I had at 1 0 um, absolutely had subsided by that point. And we were good value for 1 1 at that point. And we'd really silenced Millwall. The goal, the the second goal, um, you've highlighted Ainsley Pears and and Lewis and uh and Harry Picker in there. I want to highlight Lewis Travis actually, because I think when you are skipper on the final day of the season away at Millwall, going for the top six. You've got to do better than what he did. Ollie Burke wanted that ball. He absolutely wanted that ball. Lewis Travis should not have given him a sniff. He should have brought him down. He should have gone through him. He should have stood up to the tackle more. Yeah, anything like that. Whatever you want to do, Lewis Travis, you've got to do better than what he did. And that gives Burke the opportunity to then break. So I label the blame first there. But after that moment, yeah, we've still got opportunities, haven't we? Um, you're right, Pears did make the call uh, and I think Pickering has to take his blame for that one. But I think a couple of things I'll bring into Pickering's defence. The first, I don't think Ainsley Pears has been vocal enough this season. And I think there are possibly a couple of moments this season where, as a defender, do you have full confidence in Ainsley Pears? Is there something psychologically where you're thinking, I've got to deal with this ball? And then secondly... The den is a loud ground, and I forgive Harry Pickering if he can't hear Ainsley Pears' call, so I can forgive him that. But what he did with the ball, I mean, that it has. if you're going to take that decision, Harry Pickering, don't do what you did. If you are taking control of that situation, take control of that situation. Don't head it into the worst possible area that you can. Take Ainsley Pears out of the equation. Yeah, and I suppose I'm not really sure about that. If Pears is still in his goal, it's still not a very good header, is it? 
No, it's not. Watmore's still got the finish there, hasn't he? So I just think the execution from Harry Pickering was just not good enough. And yeah, desperately disappointing with you know how well in that game we were. And um, yeah, to go two one down at that point, I really did fear for the worst. Um, you know, with that goal going in. Yeah, absolutely. And things got a lot worse pretty quickly after that. Two goals in three minutes. Ollie Burke, Wharton gives it away with a with a pass up that's too heavy. Pickering doesn't get tight enough again. I, I'm probably going to lay most of the blame with Pickering again for this goal. It doesn't get tight enough. Fired into the bottom corner and just an awful time to concede a, a third goal. And you, you're thinking it's game over. Why would it not be game over? Blackburn haven't come from two goals behind in 18 years. They haven't come from behind to win all season. Why on earth would we expect a comeback? So it really did feel like they were staring down the barrel at half time, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And you're right to ask those questions because, um, yeah, it, in my mind, it was game over at that point. But actually, was I starting to think sadistically and thinking, do you know what? We're going to end up doing Tony Mowbray the favour or whatever. I don't know what I thought at the time. I really don't know what I thought. But what I will say is the pass from Adam Wharton, as much as we've been singing all of his praises, um, rightly so on this podcast, and I'm really excited about seeing more of him. That was a nervous pass. You know, Rovers 2-1 down at that point. The Millwall crowd back in the game, I thought it just smacked of a pass that was nervous and the execution of it was was not great from Adam Wharton's perspective. But fair play to Ollie Burke. You know, he's executed that situation really well. It's a really good finish. Um, I have seen some people criticising Ainsley Pears for it. I think he's hit that so hard. I think it's a real arrow into that I don't corner. think that's so a Pears. No, I'm not. I'm not. No, I'm really. not having that. I've I've seen some stuff saying that he could have got down quicker or whatever, but I just think the pace of the shot was just magnificent. I think it was a great hit, and yeah, just I I I just thought it was done at halftime, uh, Elliot. I just sat there looking at the other results, and um, I just thought, yeah, that's Rovers out of the race now. So um, let's just see what we can do in the second half. And I just kept going to things like. You know, is this how we wanted Brereton Diaz's last game to be? Is this how we wanted Bradley Dax's potential last game to be? And is this how we wanted the season to really end with that disappointment? It wasn't a nice feeling at halftime. It really wasn't. As much as, you know, a lot of fans had given up on playoffs weeks before, it's still the hope that gets you, isn't it? And it's still the fact that, you know, after being at one all and then seemingly throwing it away like that, it was a horrible feeling at halftime. It really was. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be honest, I didn't expect to come back. I'd started writing a season post-mortem, if I'm being honest, at halftime at the Den, which I had to completely scrap, which is the perils of being a journalist and trying to write things during a match. Because Blackburn Rovers, of course, did were predictably unpredictable. Double change at halftime, Travis and Thomas off, Britton and Dolan on, ranking Costello into midfield, which we'll touch on in more detail a little bit later. And an early goal, comebacks on. I have to say, I thought George Long should have done a lot better with the free kick, parried it straight back into the path of on-rushing danger. Britain had a couple of goes of getting it in and JRC turns it in. And again, nerves started to creep in with Millwall. There was a few moments after that at 3-2 where the, there was a cross where Britain got down the right, put it in, and you could sense the nerves in the stadium starting to grow um, and a lot of unease. And, and Blackburn had nothing to lose ultimately in that second half. They could go. If they got went and got beat 5-1, so be it. They may as well go and have a go. And that's what they played with. Very similar. Lots of parallels to the Huddersfield comeback, in my opinion, where they just, they just, for want of a better phrase, thought, sod it. We're going to go and just chuck everything out this. We've got nothing to lose. Got it back to 3-2. And the momentum was in their favour. Yeah, this game for me was just a real summary of the season. So the first half, we've reflected on a lot of things that have been bad about Rovers this season. You know, that slow start and buckling under the pressure and conceding a a goal after being on top and all those types of things. They're some of the bad things that we've seen from Rovers this season. But actually, the second half, uh, you know, it really did illustrate some of the great things from Rovers and that unpredictability that you said there, because I do think that, JDT has introduced an element of unpredictability into our formation and into the selection. And we'll come on to JRC in that regard in a moment. But, you know, fair play to JRC for those halftime substitutions because they were needed. So it was maybe slightly harsh on Sorba Thomas because maybe it wasn't his game. You know, when you've got no one to cross the ball into in that box, then, um, you know, it's really not a game for Sorba Thomas. And he didn't really have the beating of his man either. So I can understand that change. 
I absolutely take my hat off to JDT for bringing off Lewis Travis because uh, if I'm Lewis Travis, I hope he's having a long, hard reflection over the summer that, for me, your skipper should not be coming off at half-time in a game where you can make the playoffs. And Lewis Travis has made that decision very, very easy for JDT with that first-half performance. I don't think he was at the races. And this is not a criticism of Lewis Travis as a player or as a person, but I think now, for me, I would be taking the armband away from Lewis Travis with the fact that we've seen Hyam have a very good season and rightly get player of the season. You've seen other players like Sammy Smodic really become a driving force for this team. I just wonder if we take the pressure off Lewis Travis now, carrying that armband, do we see a different Lewis Travis next season? And it was disappointing that Travis got took off. And as I say, it shouldn't have been that. But yeah, the goal, it was, um, you know, again, if you want to be critical of Rovers, why play like this when the pressure is seemingly off? Although I don't think the pressure was off at that point because as much as JDT has said he probably wasn't looking at the results, I think at that point, if we had gone into the lead, Rovers would be in the top six because I don't think Sunderland were winning at that point and I don't think West Brom were winning at that point. So it was still all to play for in that regard. So there still was an element of pressure. But I think you're right. It was just a case of let's just go for it. And I think JRC has reflected that in his interview with with you and Rich, hasn't he, to say that, do you know what? It was just a case of why not? Let's just go for it. Yeah, Jon said post-match that he didn't find out the other results until two minutes before time. Um, and JRC said that the players didn't know until they went 4-3 up because that's when it was relevant ultimately. So they were asking the away end and uh, they got a few thumbs down from the away end, which let them know that obviously results elsewhere weren't going in their favour. What you said on Travis is interesting. It would be a huge, huge call to do that. But we know... Thomason's not afraid by any means, you know, just because Lewis Travis is captain. His, his form has fluctuated a lot this season. He was pretty poor after the World Cup break, came out the team for six weeks, had a really, really good February and start to March. But since the international break, he's not been at it again, if I'm being completely honest. He was so good in February, you know, that Leicester performance in particular was as good as you can get from a holding midfielder away from home at, at a Premier League ground. He was absolutely fantastic, but Certainly since the international break, the last sort of seven, eight weeks of the season, he's just not been at the same levels. And him getting, he's been taken off a few times late in games, but to be hooked at half-time, yeah, I think could potentially be a little bit of a... I don't want to overreact on it, but they might, we might look in the after the summer and, and look at the start of next season and maybe think that this was a potentially a, a big moment in Lewis Travis' Blackburn Rovers' career. But we will only know that with hindsight. Um, as I say, momentum swings again. Rovers get themselves back level. Brilliant goal from Ben Brereton. Diaz, obviously, he's been so maligned by the fan base in, in the last few years. So really good for him to get the send-off he deserved. Phenomenal finish for free all. Somehow didn't make it for, for, for three moments. Like that, that 90 seconds, my head fell off. Like I couldn't have typed <laughs> quick enough. Uh, made it, could have been 4-3 off the post. Dolan somehow turns the rebound wide. So much going on. Sunderland were already 2-0 up, I think, by the time that they made it 3-all. Um, so it was kind of irrelevant at that stage. Can you imagine if Sunderland had been drawn as well when Rovers were at 3-all and missing chances to go 4-3 up? But it set up a good finish because we knew in the press box Millwall, uh, Sunderland were 2 or 3 up at that point. So the Rovers weren't going to get there. Millwall knew they needed the results. So they started to push forward. Rovers were counter-attacking and I think we saw how wide open the game was from the winning goal in the 86th minute. It's Tyler Bury going down the left. Really good hand from Ainsley Pears. It's cleared away. Sweeping counter-attack. You think, as ranking so, just overdone it with that pass, shoving Smodix a little bit wide, but it's a brilliant ball from him. Hard and low through the defender's legs. And there's Brereton Diaz at the back post for his 16th of the season. Great moment for Smodix, I'm sure, as well as a diehard West Ham United fan to, to ruin Millwall's chances of the top six if they couldn't get in themselves. And I am really pleased for Burton Diaz. You touched on it a little bit earlier. Is this the send-off he wanted to, Rovers wanted to give him? Well, he got what he deserved in the end. And I know he's coming for a lot of criticism and his performances since the World Cup break have not been great. Let's be fair. But he is Blackburn Rovers' top goal scorer yet again. He scored 16 championship goals, which nobody's got near to. And he has carried this team for large portions of the last two seasons to get himself into this opportunity ultimately where 
he deserves an opportunity. You know, I do not begrudge him going to Villarreal for the, the contract he's going to get and the lifestyle that him and his young family will undoubtedly get from this opportunity. It's just a shame, which is of no fault of Ben Burton Diaz, that Blackburn won't benefit. And that's their own fault for not sorting his contract out under previous regimes. But I'm really glad that he got the send-off he deserves because I think some of the criticism has been a bit overkill. I certainly don't think he's down tools or his head's been elsewhere, that's for sure. But I do think his performances have dropped off. But that can happen naturally. You know, He's had a lot going on in his life. He's just become a new dad, which I understand the, the stress and strains of. I'm not training and trying to play football at the same time. Yes, he gets paid a lot of money. But you know, he's still a human being. And I'm just really glad he got that moment because I think he deserved it. I think he's been a great player for Blackburn ultimately. His career has had lots of twists and turns since he joined for that big money from Nottingham Forest. And he deserves a good send-off and to go with the well-wishers of Blackburn Rovers fans, in my opinion. Yeah, I'll come on to the performance and uh, and just my thoughts and feelings about that in a moment. But yeah, just on Brereton Diaz, uh, he absolutely deserves it. And, you know, for Rovers, we've just been caught in the middle of it. <laughs> a really unfortunate perfect storm scenario, which has just led to a point where, unfortunately for us, Brereton Diaz is never really signing that new contract, just with the circumstances and the way that everything's played out. And then we've obviously had a decision to make at that point. Do we let him run his contract down and lose him on a free, or do we cash in earlier on that? And obviously it's well documented that we've made the decision to to let him run his contract down and we've reaped the rewards of that. It's a shame it's not meant anything in the end, but I don't begrudge the decision that's been taken there. I absolutely agree with everything you've said about him not downing tools and all of those types of things. We've seen enough from what he's done off the pitch in particular with some of these things with Bradley Dack in the Rover store and some of the interviews that he's done with Sky Sports and all this stuff around Chile. You can get the measure of the man from all of that type of stuff. He is not one of these, you know, 21st century uh, footballers, if you want to call it that, driven by money and driven by all of these other things. Deep down, he is a nice lad, a young lad with a good family that just wants to do the very best he can in his football career. So I don't think he's down tools. I think he has just suffered with a bit of fatigue, whether that's physical fatigue, mental fatigue from the new child, the travelling with Chile, all these things, they do accumulate and contribute over that long period that we're talking about. And I think the shame for me is what we saw from Brereton Diaz at the Den, we saw that explosion of pace. We saw that ability to meet a man. We saw that drive. We saw that getting past people. And we didn't quite see that in his final 10 games, I don't think. And we were crying out for some of that, you know, at home to Hull, at home to Norwich, games where we, you know, we have struggled to break sides down. We just missed a bit of that from Brereton Diaz, I think. So that's the only disappointing thing for me. But I'm not blaming him as a person for why we've not seen that. I don't think he's done that on purpose. I just think it's all those mental and physical fatigue things that I say. So he absolutely goes with my best wishes because what a story he's given us. And for us all to just become honorary Chili fans and sing the silly song and have this wonderful story associated with Blackburn Rovers. You know, it's just been a joy to be a part of. And I wish him well, and I really hope he does well. I hope he does get that improvement in form, because the last 10 game Brereton Diaz that we've seen, if he plays like that abroad, I think he might find himself very quickly back in England. But if we see the Brereton Diaz that we know and love, and the one that we saw at the Den, then I think he'll have a really long career in Spain. Just going on to the performance and my thoughts and feelings, Elliot. I mean, I think the only tolerable thing with this whole game was the fact that we never saw a as it stands table that had Rovers in the top six. So I think that made imagine it... the nerves if Rovers had gone oh. off, like Sunderland had scored late to win or exactly. So that made it tolerable. So then we start just thinking these thoughts, and when we made it three all, and then you did see Sunderland go two 0 up, you just thinking. We're going to help Tony out, aren't we? Like, that is where my mind went. And in a season where we've seen Burnley win the title on our own patch, I was joking around with some of my mates just to say, we're going to put the icing on this cake, aren't we? We're going to help Tony out. After Tony spending those years failing with us to get us into the top six, we're going to have our noses well and truly rubbed in it by seeing Tony Mowbray um, make the top six with Sunderland. And I've seen a lot of people who are happy for Tony Mowbray. I am as well. 
he is a lovely bloke and Sunderland are a great club and their fans have been through a lot and all of that. But I actually found myself not wanting us to win the game, Elliot. And really? I, can't, I can't believe us. I, honestly, I can't believe I was in that position. I've been begging for comebacks and turnarounds all season. And then we have the best way of coming back presented to me at the Den where we can be 3-1 down and win a game 4-3 away from home with three second-half goals, which we've not done many times, if any, this season. And I find myself not wanting that equaliser. So it was just a horrible feeling. But eventually I got over myself. And do you know what? As I say, really pleased for Tony Mowbray because actually if you think about things that are wrong with football at the moment in terms of the riches and and all of that type of stuff. Actually, like Rovers, Tony Mowbray and Sunderland, working with young players, working with stretch squads, not having all the money at their disposal, I don't begrudge a club like Sunderland making the top six in the end. So I have got over my feelings now, but in-game a little bit, I was like, I really don't want this. I don't want our winner. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure it's an irony lost on anyone that after years of failing to get Rovers over the line, he's done so with Sunderland. I suppose it maybe puts a little bit of the myth to bed about his second half seasons as well because they've had horrific injuries yet rallied at the end and got themselves over the line. It's not through luck Sunderland have done that in fairness. So maybe that's something to reflect on as well and just a little interesting nugget. It had to be the Rovers' way ultimately. They fell short on goal difference. They did do their job, which I think I certainly take a lot of comfort in, the fact that Rovers got their job done and, and got themselves over the line. But when we reflect on the season, Ryan, we ultimately know what's cost them. It's it's the lack of a centre-forward, the lack of goals in January, not signing someone. I think when we reflect on the season overall, this it's undoubtedly been one of overachievement. It's undoubtedly been one of transition. And for Rovers to have something to play for on the final day in the, in, in the dramatic scenes that they had, I think we'd have all taken that ultimately going into the last day if you'd offered it. Um, certainly on the last day of last season when everything was up in the air, certainly on the first game of this season when they'd not signed anyone other than Callum Britton. So I do think we need to remember where this team's come in such a short period of time. They've undoubtedly improved on the pitch. The performances are night and day from earlier in the season. They don't need buckets in the summer, I don't think. Smart recruitment might be able to get them up a level, although it's going to be a much tougher championship season. But ultimately, it's come down to goals, goal difference. They've not scored enough goals. They're not in the top half for goals scored in the Championship this season. They finished with a minus goal difference. And that is ultimately what has stopped them from turning points, um, uh, turning you know performances into more points and getting them over the line. Yeah, I'm going to try and break this down a little bit because there's just a myriad of emotions with this. So I think if we start at the very start of the season, you're absolutely right. No one would have expected us to be anywhere close to the top six this season. And for that reason, you know, it's a season where I am really proud. And if you think about what's happened within the season as well, the emergence of Hayden Carter, the emergence of Adam Wharton, the rebirth of Joe Rankin-Costello, Sammy Smodic and Dom Hyam in particular coming in as really solid signings. You know, things that have gone on in season, if you apply it with that kind of start of the season mindset, we absolutely have to be proud of how this season has gone and and as you say, exceeding the expectations at the start. But things within season change, and I think goalposts do change. And after finding ourselves in that position, after sitting in the top six, I think I saw it for 211 days of the season, ultimately it is an opportunity missed. And when you see Sunderland make it, as you say, with the injuries that they've had, the relative age of their squad, you know, roughly comparable with ours, and our previous manager, a new manager, you like to remember that, He's a new manager as much as John Dahl Thomason is a new manager. When you boil it down to all of that, ultimately, I do think it's a big opportunity missed. But I think it's a season that will teach this squad a lot. And I do think we end this season in a much stronger position than we ended last season. Absolutely. With the contracts that we've had signed, with the players from the academy that are now you know, within our starting eleven. With players like John Buckley, who will come back next season and come back into that starting eleven after missing the run-in and all of those types of things, we've got every reason to be positive. But yeah, I can't help but just feel slightly disappointed by it, Elliot. I do think it's a big opportunity missed. And I'm not saying that had we made the playoffs, we would get promoted. But you do give yourself the chance if you do make the playoffs. I just think psychologically for the fan base 
and for the players, it would have been a huge step for us to make the top six. After all of these years, it would have been really good for us. We could have banked the top six. If we don't go up, we go again next season. So I hope that we can use this experience. I hope that we can use the fact that we've missed out by goal difference to our advantage next season in the same way that we might have used it had we made the top six and failed in the playoffs. I hope we can use that energy in the right way. And then just to add the other emotions, just goal difference. You can just pinpoint so many moments through the season where we get that one extra point. You know, you can take it right back to George Hurst, miss penalty away at Cardiff. Why the hell is he taking that? You can bring in the, you know, the Coventry goalkeeper scoring, which, you know, if that doesn't go in, we come above Coventry and make the top six. You can bring in the higher own goal, the Sammy Smodic crossbar moment, all these nearly moments that get us that extra point. So again, that's why that just leaves that little tinge, that little lady look wasn't with us this time. So I hope that the footballing gods, and I've been joking around with uh, with Glenn, one of my good Rovers mates, just saying we must have done our deeds now with the footballing gods. Because, yes, I know for a club like Rovers to win the Premier League and have all those years in the Premier League and win the League Cup and have those European adventures might have involved, you know, the footballing gods having to take something from us for a while. We've done our 10 years in the Championship now. Burnley have won the title at Ewood Park and Sunderland have made the top six with Tony Mowbray. For me, that is debt settled next season. Lady luck with us, please. And if we have that little slice of luck, if the players have that little bit more next season just to learn from this experience, then maybe it could be a good season next season. I think there's some poetic narrative to the fact that, in my opinion, I think their season was settled twice at Deepdale. I think it was settled when Dom Hyam accidentally put through his own goal and I think it was settled on final day when Sunderland won at yeah. Preston. I think those were the those that, that will be the moment for that to happen for a second time in a week, given the hedges missed. That, that for me, is the one that I'm just lingering over where if they got that. I understand people are saying Coventry because they would have finished above Coventry. They didn't need to finish above Coventry, let's be fair. They right. needed one more point and Coventry probably deserved the point in that in that game. So the bigger one for me is Preston because it was self inflicted ultimately. It hurt that when that goal went in, and as you say, coming after the hedges thing as well. That one is the one that inflicted the most. I actually had a physical pain when that Hyam goal went in. That's the one that hurt the most. And I think, as you say, when we look back on the season, that is the moment. I think when the playoff push probably ended at that point. I think so. Let's talk about a few in-match things. Joe Rankin-Costello, central midfield. Fans have been calling for it for so long. I didn't really think it was ever going to happen. So, second half against Millwall, he moved in there. Callum Britton in at right-back. And he did well. We interviewed Rankin-Costello after the match, which you'll find the articles up on Lanks Live. Um, Spoke to him about his contract, first and foremost, which is up in 2024. He has got the option of an extra year, which we weren't sure about. There wasn't a lot of clarity, so... I asked him directly. He told me that he has got the option for next year and he told me that um, there have been initial talks to extend the deal anyway. So positive news on that front, first and foremost. Then in terms of his positioning, obviously got that chance. He, he told me, Rich, that he'd, he'd been speaking to Jan Dahl Thompson about potentially playing that role. Obviously, it's something he did in his younger days, but you know, playing there in the academy in the under-21s and playing there, in the championship in the middle of a playoff battle, two completely different things. He's not played there for a very long time, but it's something he enjoyed. It's something that I think gives him a better opportunity of influencing the final third and getting up in support. And offensively, I think he did really well. Thomason said the same when I asked him about that change and how he thought he did. Defensively, there's little bits to, to work on. Both the manager and the, the player pinpointed that. Second balls, where, where to stand when the ball's going over your head. Just little things that you pick up from playing the role. But for me, this was a clear indication that Thomason is open to playing Joe Rankin-Costello in central midfield. It was an admission from Joe Rankin-Costello he wants to play in central midfield. And I thought he did a really good job. And also, Callum Britton is a very good footballer. You know, he, he made an impact when he came on to And it's a bit of a crying shame that Rovers have got two really good right-backs fighting for one spot. If we can get them both in the team, that would be really good. I do think playing Rankin-Costello and Wharton probably is a little bit Offensive, you're probably lacking a little bit of balance if you were going to play the two moving forward. But it gives Rovers a, a different option. It'll be interesting to see what 
ranking Stowe's position is next season, given he's going to have a full preseason now. If, I think if you're going to commit to this preseason, it's a great opportunity to work on those things with the with the coaching team and in preseason. And good news overall that he's obviously um, in in talks over a new contract as well. Oh, it's fantastic news. You know, I said it earlier when you're talking about reasons to be optimistic and success stories of the season, then you probably don't get any bigger than Joe Rankin Costello um, and another academy prospect. And if we can get him to sign that new contract, you know, when you're talking about the trading model that Rovers are going to have to do, you know, bringing players through the academy and then potentially selling for big bucks in the future, then JRC probably slots into that category now after signing a new contract as well. Um I'm really pleased for him. Um, if we just start with the case for JRC and centre mid and then maybe offer a bit of balance. Um, we, I did say earlier on, we have struggled for goals from midfield this season, apart from Sam Smodic. And if we are going to lose Bradley Dack this summer, then we do need to get more goals from midfield. Whether that's Adam Wharton, whether that's John Buckley, whether it's JRC, whether it's Lewis Travis, we absolutely need more goals from midfield. And I think JRC has proven that he is a goal threat. Huddersfield away uh, stands out, doesn't it, with the amount of chances that he had? Seven, seven shots he had in that Yeah, game. seven shots. And then he just seems to have that knack, that attacking instinct to either drive into the right positions, make the right runs, or like he did away at Millwall, follow the ball in after a free kick. So he has got those attacking instincts, which suggests to me that in that type of midfield area, he could be a real threat for us. And then, you know, if you just think about, has he got the potential to thread a little ball through for Sam Smodic, who might be making a run or whoever our striker is next season, a bit of creativity in there, um, you know, that might work well. I think physically in the centre of the park, I think he's actually shown this season, actually, that physically he's up for the fight. From right back, he's had people getting stuck into him. He's been a pest. He's been a thorn. You know, the Burnley game, giving it to Ashley Barnes and all that type of stuff. You know, he's really up for the fight. And I think he's actually pretty decent in the air as well. So as a centre midfielder and the attributes you need, there's probably a lot to work on there. The bit's just to offer some balance. The Millwall game we've just reflected was a very unique game for the circumstances that we've just said. And the Millwall centre midfield or the feelings that they were feeling at that point, you're probably not getting that week in, week out in the Championship. And JRC, I think, in the interview with you and and Rich, reflected that from that right-back area, he hasn't got the people up his backside, has he? So I'd be very interested on his ability to... Take the ball, you know, like we've seen with Adam Wharton, very comfortable taking the ball in a tight area, turning himself in and out of trouble and distributing. From a sort of tactical point of view, I think it would have to be more of a 4 3 3 than a 4 2 3 1. I can't see him and Wharton as a double pivot. I think it would have to be Adam Wharton playing deepest, taking the ball yeah. off the centre backs, which he's so good at. You'd have Joe Rankin Costello in that right channel, which is basically where he's been playing from right back anyway, and Smodic yeah. in that left channel, who naturally likes to drift into those positions anyway. That's yeah. got decent balance to it. Is there enough physicality and and is there a potential to get bullied in bullied in there a little bit? Probably, but is ranking still a better fit for that sort of right channel role in the midfield three than Lewis Travis? Yes, he is. Yeah. In my opinion, you know that is a more natural fit. Travis is not as good going forward as ranking Costello, but there are definitely things defensively that Travis can do that ranking Costello can't right now. That's not to say he can't with a little bit more training. But that's the interesting debate and why I'm intrigued of how this balance is going to look uh, after pre-season. And it's a squad game ultimately, isn't it? So there'll be games that suit Lewis Travis. There'll be games that suit JRC in centre-mid. There'll be games that suit Adam Wharton in centre-mid. And then there'll be other games that suit John Buckley. And there'll be other games that suit Callum Britton driving it down the right versus JRC. So that's why it's a squad game. And we've reflected, particularly in those striking areas this season, the lack of a squad is what's cost us. So... I don't mind having the options in centre mid if JRC, uh, if JDT, sorry, can ultimately keep all of these young lads really happy, especially after signing contracts, because we don't know what conversations JRC is now going to have with JDT. I want assurances about playing centre mid. Who knows? That might be the conversation. So I like the options. I like the balance as you've described, but there's just those couple of things that I'm just thinking, yeah, I just want to see it a little bit more. Let's just see what it's like when JRC is potentially a tougher ground away from home, for example. You know, that's when I think we can really judge JRC in the centre-mid area, but certainly he's whetted the appetite with his performances this season. And, um, you know, I will not begrudge JRC uh, JDT, get me acronyms, won't begrudge JDT on the first day of next season starting JRC in that area with what we've seen at Millwall. Absolutely. I think we need to talk about Thomason um, and his, his future because... 
I think there was a few concerns in the fan base post match about a few quotes taken out of context. Um, I always blog the post match. Obviously, I don't get every single word down. Of course, I don't. I'm trying to do it live, and I think there was a few accounts that were sat on my blog and potentially took those quotes and made them read worse than they were as a result because they weren't quite in context. But that's just the nature of the internet. There was nothing said, first and foremost, in that post-match interview that made me think Yondar Thompson was any more likely to leave after the game than three weeks ago, two months ago, etc., etc. Of course, there have been a few tentative links with Leeds United and Feyenoord, nothing concrete. And quite, it was quite simple. Thompson was absolutely knackered. He looked emotionally drained. He said so. He said he was low energy. And he just didn't want to talk about it there. And then that's all it came to. It wasn't about him trying to knock away, you know, not committing to Rovers. He literally stated the facts. He said, it's a project. I've got two years left on my contract. I don't need to talk about this speculation right now. And he's right. And that's all it came down to. But undoubtedly, if we put that to one side, he's overachieved with the team this season. There are going to be potentially admiring glances. There's a lot of jobs coming up in the summer. And I think... The club have got to do better in the transfer market. January cannot be allowed to happen again because ultimately not getting a striker in has been one of many, but one of the major factors in why they haven't finished in the top six. If, if Thomason can get them to within goal difference of a playoff place with the resources he's had, with the fixture congestion, with the injuries, with the lack of reinforcements in January, without a, a, you know, a, a real proper pre-season, let's not forget he didn't get appointed till mid-June then what could he do with a little bit more backing? And I'm not saying that Rovers suddenly should go and spend millions of pounds. Of course they shouldn't. That's not the model. The model is selling to accumulate and using the recruitment um, wisely to bring in the right players with good sell-on value that Rovers can make a profit on and can be valuable to the first team. But they've got to go and match him and get him a striker in, in the summer. And I know they cost a lot of money but they need a striker because the development of so many players shows that Thomason can get a lot out of a little. And I do think that perhaps we spoke about so many players and speculation around their future this season. I think Yondal Thomason might be Blackburn Rowe's biggest asset. You know, Adam Wharton is fantastic. Ash Phillips is a great prospect. Whoever else you want to put in that equation, I think Thomason right now is probably Rovers' biggest asset and they've got to do enough to show him that they're being ambitious. I don't think he's expecting the world. I don't think he... He knows what he signed up for. You know, this is a two-way street. He knows he was there. He, they gave him an opportunity in English football, which is what he wanted. He signed a three-year contract. He knows there wasn't going to be millions and millions spent and they were competing against parachute payments. But there's got to be a middle ground, I think, where January can't be allowed to happen again. And equally... Um, they're backing Thomason in the transfer market. There's there's a middle ground. And I think as long as he feels that Rovers are moving forwards and not stagnating or going backwards, he'll be loyal and, and committed to this project. I couldn't agree more with everything that you've just said there. So you are right to reflect that he's our biggest asset. Um, at championship level, when you're a club like Rovers with our revenue and and where we find ourselves at the moment within the championship, to get promotion and to get top six, you have to be greater than the sum of your parts. You know, Rovers have got the small squad, all the stuff that we've just been talking about. And JDT on first viewing this season, you know, is a manager that will allow us to be greater than the sum of our parts. So he absolutely is our biggest asset. JDT as a person, you do not be Denmark's joint top scorer, I think it is. You do not win the Champions League with AC Milan, as I think he did. You do not have the career that he had in Europe in particular, you do not win the trophies with Malmo like he did if you're not a winner and you don't know what you're doing. And that's the bit that JDT brings for me as well. And as much as the players have just come up short this season with all the things that we've said, I think there is a little bit more that he can instill on this squad based on his own career experience and things. So you are absolutely right. He is a huge asset for us, particularly with who we might attract elsewhere in the football pyramid, elsewhere in world football. At this moment in time, JDT is the perfect fit for us particularly with the recruitment department that's still forming and, and going about its stuff that it wants to do with Greg Broughton and with the players that we find ourselves have. I'm actually a bit worried about this situation, not based on the quotes and the stuff that he said after the game, but I think it's those other jobs that you talk about because 
You look at Leeds, for example, if they get relegated, you know, are they going to potentially have a little punt at JDT and be able to offer him the parachute payment money? Southampton likely to be in the market for another manager next season as well. Very similar club to Rovers with good youth academy, all of that type of stuff. We know that a Premier League club will panic next season and sack their manager. If Rovers are in the top six and JDT's had a good season, do the Premier League club start you know, tapping uh, John Gal Thomason on the shoulder? So you are absolutely right to highlight. If Waggett, Greg Broughton haven't woken up to the fact that you need to back your man this summer and you need to essentially give him what he wants within financial reason, we are going to be very, very, very vulnerable to other clubs poaching him. And I'm really worried about it. So you're absolutely right. We've got to work with him better. We cannot let him down in the way that he did. And I really hope that we're actively working with him to get him the targets that he needs and get that squad in its second season moulded more into the fashion that he wants it. I think for balance, Rovers are in a strong position still. They've got him on a two-year contract. He's not made any signs that we're aware of that he wants to go or anything like that. And it's just about you know doing things correctly. As I say, January was an absolute shambles, really, wasn't it? Let's be honest. And they can't afford a summer like that because that's when he'll start getting hacked off and that's when you're at risk of um, things turning potentially sour. I do think, you know, speculate to accumulate. If Rovers have to cash in on an Ash Phillips, on an Adam Wharton for really good money to buy a striker that can get them promoted, I think that's okay. I don't think, I'm not suggesting Rovers should go and break their model. Absolutely to keep Thomason happy. Absolutely not. It's got to be about if the right money comes in at the right time, Rovers have not been good enough at moving players on and that's what they need to do better. Um, there's already plenty of speculation about interest in their players. If the money's right, then they need to go and use that money to buy a striker. I don't see any particular way that both goalkeepers are at the club for next season because I think if you're Ainsley Pairs, you've got one year left on your contract and you want to be a championship number one. If Rovers aren't going to give you that insurance, you'll leave and Rovers have got to sell him because otherwise they'll miss out on that money and he'll go for free next summer. Equally, if you're Thomas Kaminsky you're not going to accept being number two either. And therefore, Rovers have got two sellable assets. That's okay. Sell one of them. I don't, I don't, don't, doesn't matter which right now. You know, that's a debate for a different day. But two sellable assets, you can't really keep them both. I don't see outside the summer. Sell one of them. Fine. That's, that's not a problem. Rovers have got to be more comfortable doing that. And yes, no one wants Adam Wharton to go. No one wants anyone to be. The, the term selling club doesn't really exist in my mind anymore. I think every club is a selling club and that's good. You know, that's how you're successful. That's how you get squad churn. That's how you develop players. And that's how you move up the football pyramid, as we've seen with countless examples. That is the blueprint. I don't think the squad needs major, major surgery in the same way it did last season, in my opinion. Yes, they'll need a lot of bulking out. Yes, they need some quality additions for the first team. But there's lots to work with. You can build around Hayden Carter and Dom Hyam. That is your first choice centre-back pairing for next season. No problems if, if nothing else happens. Joe Rankin-Costello, Adam Wharton. You know, I think Sam Smodix has done enough to justify that he can be built around in that attacking third, whether it's as a left-sided number eight, whether it's as a number 10. He's certainly good enough to be in the team. And yes, they need a striker. Yes, they need some more options out wide, particularly on the right-hand side. Is Tyrese Dolan going to step up and, and fill the Ben Brereton-Diaz role on the left? We saw flashes he can do that in February. But again, since the international break, I think his form hasn't been very good. So there's question marks in some areas, but back four is relatively set. Goalkeeper, you've got two goalkeepers, they'll stick with one of them. Central midfield, they've got Buckley, they've got Wharton, they've got potentially JRC. They need another midfielder, uh, and Travis, of course. And they need a striker and options out wide. But there's more to work with. They're in a better position now than this time last season by a country mile. So they just need to make sure this opportunity to build doesn't get wasted. Totally. And some of those positions you've said there as well, particularly wide, you know, I, I stand by the fact that, you know, we can have a conversation with Liverpool again about, you know, is there a wide player or a forward area that, you know, you'd like us to take someone on loan? And um, as we've seen with Sorba Thomas, you know, there are championship loans that you can make people with experience, you know, those options are available to us as well. So I think you're absolutely right. I think the baseline and, and the grounding that we're working from here is is really, really positive. We've got lots of options there. And players now that have been around the block this season, some of them have been around the block twice now with what happened last season under Tony Mowbray as well. 
Um, so there's plenty to work with there. What I will say about Dolan, and I'll say it about Gallagher as well, you know, this isn't all solved by money and new signings. Them two absolutely now have to step up. If you're losing Bradley Dack, if you're losing Ben Brereton Diaz, if Sorba Thomas is going back to Huddersfield, those two for me have to step up, in particular Sam Gallagher. He has to turn into a centre forward next season. And we've seen this in the past. We've just seen it with Chuba Akpom. Players can have the season of their life out of nowhere. There is no reason with the attributes that Sam Gallagher has got that he cannot have a season like that. And for me, I think it's mind over matter with him. I see him do stuff in games where I think, why the hell are you done that? I li- He's I a confidence still- player, isn't he? We've seen completely, that. Completely. The performance against Coventry showed that, even that early head he had, and then he scored, and then he has his best game for a fair while. He's a confidence player. He just needs someone to take the burden off. It can't be Gallagher and Jack Vale as your top yeah. two strikers. You need more senior competition than that. Yeah, that's it. And this is where some good early recruitment or decisions about recruitment really early on. If JDT knows what he's getting and what he's not, you know, can he then get an arm around Sam Gallagher and say, you are my main man next season? Because I do concede with Sam Gallagher. He's seen all the stuff with Ben Burrett and Diaz. He's seen the stuff with Bradley Dack. He's not been the main man. He has taken his share of criticism. But actually, in a situation where we're forced, in some respects, to get behind Sam Gallagher and get our arm around him, you know, could we see a different Sam Gallagher next season? Who knows? But yeah, Gallagher in particular and Dolan, you know, have to step up next season if we are to make the top six because we need more from them in those attacking areas, certainly. We'll finish off the podcast now, Ryan, with our Rovers riddle. Last week, um, I asked you who the current Rovers player was who'd uh, played for the following clubs. Hemel Hempstead, uh, Basingstoke Town, Dagnum and Redbridge and Blackburn Rovers. Did you get it? I mean, I've not even looked to see who it could be. Just based on those areas, my only guess is Sam Smodic. Incorrect. It was Dominic Hyam, which a few people... Few people got on Twitter. Oh it's always encouraging when you don't get it right because people do reply on Twitter with the answer, and clearly you've not been stalking it to find out <laughs> and cheating. I'm a man of honor, Elliot. You know that well enough by now. I do. With this being potentially the last podcast of the season, although we're we're planning to to do a couple more potentially, sort of breaking down the season. We haven't got no Rovers riddled this week because there'll be a little bit less structure to the recording schedules with the summer coming up. But we are planning to do a couple more podcasts before. Uh, the new season before we take a, a proper break for the summer. Um, so that's all for this week's podcast. Thank you for listening. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Inside Brockle and you're subscribed in your chosen app. Have a great week. Enjoy the summer. We'll be back again in your ears very soon. 